The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, welcome. We are so glad you're here. And for those of you getting ready to start school, whether it be at the University of Iowa or the other schools in the area, uh, good luck. <laughs> no. We want to help you so much. I'm so glad that Scott, was, you were able to meet Scott, the, the uh, college pastor, and be sure and check in with any of those, any of the folks, and we'd love for you to stay for lunch after. It'd be, be wonderful. We're, we're so glad all of you are here. Uh, many of you, you're excited about school. You're excited about watching the Olympics. Uh, you're so excited about watching all the advertisements about the election coming up. Uh, <laughs> and we, we sort of forget of what what's happening in Louisiana. Um, it's historic. This is where Cheryl and I are from. We are in, Cheryl was from Baton Rouge, involved. Uh, no, we know lots of people down in that area. There is historic flooding right now. In uh, a 48-hour period, over 4 trillion gallons of water fell from the sky, enough water that would supply the entire city of New Orleans for 320 years. Uh, and there is massive, massive flooding. 110,000 homes are affected. Uh, 40,000 people in the Baton Rouge and surrounding area are, are totally displaced. Uh, it's massive flooding. And uh, uh, Cheryl's sister has a, a daughter who was born with cerebral palsy. She's uh, paraplegic. Uh, Charlotte, in the middle of the night, thought, I've got to go check on Adrian, went to her house. And the water... She, parked her car, and the water just started coming up higher and higher. And so for six hours, she stood in rising floodwaters, screaming out of the window for someone to save them. And um, finally, as the water got, her daughter can't, she's 38 years old, she can't get out of bed, and Charlotte can't lift her. And so the water was just going up, and the water got to the top of the mattress, and finally there was a boat, and they were able to rescue both Charlotte and Adrian, they lost everything. You know, no flood insurance because the person living in Louisiana, if they don't live right on a river, they're not going to get flood insurance. And after 50, 60 years of hurricane after hurricane and no flooding, who thinks they need it? And uh, so the same for, for Adrian, no flood insurance, lost everything, Charlotte's car gone. Um, so we're heading, Cheryl and I are heading down there uh, right after church uh, this next service. And um, we're going to team up with the chapel on the campus have been awesome. Chapel on the campus, you might remember Donald Tabb. He was, we became Christians through uh, that ministry. Um, and Don Tabb has spoken here on a few different occasions. You all know him. During the 93 flood and also in the 2008 flood, the chapel on the campus financially supported us uh, very well as a church and also to go through us to the community. It's our opportunity now uh, to return the favor, and so the elder board gave me approval to recommend to you if you would like to help with this flood relief on a check, you can just in the memo put Baton Rouge is good enough or Baton Rouge flood, anything like that. Just make it out to Parkview would be great, or you can do it online. Uh, but uh, they they really 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 need our help. Just a real short clip of who uh, Don Tab is still there working full-time and uh, the lead pastor now. Just a short clip. They put these clips out daily. Hey, I want to say thank you to everybody that's come out to help us as we've tried to help people in our church and people in our city. The devastation has been 
just unbelievable. And we're all having to sort through these priorities. Is my house safe? Can I get into my place? Do I have family that I have to help? Do I have a neighbor that I need to help? And so everyone is kind of working their way out to be available. Everybody's doing whatever they can to help friends and family and neighbors. Some folks are just getting in their house. Some folks still can't get in their house. Yeah, so it goes on. They have sent out, every day they sent out numerous teams to go help. Um, Saturday they had a massive effort, and they're, they're just in barely phase one. People haven't even been able to start coming back in, in full. But uh, that's, I am so thankful to God for the book of First Peter. We're in the book of First Peter right now. If you have your Bible, you might want to open to First Peter. And First uh, Peter was written to believers going through extremely difficult times. I mean, this was a time when Nero burns Rome. He blames it on the Christians. Christians were being burned at the stake, used to light Nero's garden parties. They were being fed to lions to bears, to leopards, to wild dogs. Uh, gladiators were, were killing them. Um, it, was, it was an incredible time of tremendous difficulty. And so what I tried to do, I wanted to look at this passage entirely fresh. I wanted to put myself in the place of those people sitting in a church service, a worship service as the letter from Peter was being read to them. What did the Holy Spirit through Peter want to tell people who this might be the last thing they ever hear? The next day they could be crucified, uh, made sport of in the arena, killed. This could be the last thing they ever hear. How did the Holy Spirit through Peter want to encourage people going through an extremely difficult time? So it might help you. And I know many of you are going through very difficult times, have gone through very difficult times, uh, and my heart goes out to you. I know how much you hurt. And so... I'd like for everybody to just get it in your, in your mind. Whatever it is you're really, really struggling with, the, the, the biggest trial you're facing right now, what can Peter say through this word to encourage you with what you're facing or maybe friends who are facing difficult things as well? Doug started it off last Sunday, and the very first thing was to remember uh, that we have a living hope. We're elect exiles, and we have a hope. It, it's amazing to me, the very first thing that Peter wanted to encourage people who could face death the very next day, he said, I want you to first remember salvation. Remember theology. And he talks about soteriology in the first few verses. Soter, to, to save. He talks about, what does it mean to be saved? That's the word, soter, soteria. What does it mean to be saved? Or, or basically, rescued. That's where he starts. What does it mean to be rescued? That's the word. That's exactly what Cheryl's sister, when she was in the middle of the night, screaming out through a window as her daughter was almost swallowed up by the floodwaters, she was screaming out of the window, save me, save me, somebody save. Rescue me. Rescue me from the floodwaters. That's, what it, that's how he starts. Secondly, remember your calling, that we are chosen 
in this situation where circumstances are very difficult, we are called to be very different. We'll look at this. Uh, Let me just read a few verses out of this section right now. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with a precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Basically, what Peter is reminding us here is, look, you're going through incredibly difficult times. You need to remember now, you're living in a a world that has two sides. You're living in a world that in tandem, in this cosmos, has there's both evil and good that exists side by side. He's saying, look, you guys need to understand this as you're living in the world. It, it, It exists together. There's an evil side and there's a godly side. There's a side of light and there's a side of darkness. There's, uh, Paul later will call it in our experience in this world, the flesh versus the spirit or the old versus the new, darkness versus light. And, and this tandem, this conflicting cosmos of, of uh, powers that are existing at the same time explains the war that we have within ourselves even as believers. The flesh versus the spirit. But we are, the salvation part is we are saved. We're we're cured. We're redeemed. We're set free from the tyranny of the world around us. And we become a new creature. We saw that in the first part. All things have become new. Galatians 5, chapter 1 says, Christ has set, rescued us and set us free from the wicked part of the cosmos of the world. But at the same time, even as believers, even if, even though we're a new creature, even though we've been set free, it's possible for us to re-engage. That's why Peter's saying, leave those old indulgences, flee from it, be holy. Because it's very possible to go back, and uh, Galatians 5, 13 and 16 says, to indulge the sinful nature. It's still possible for a believer to indulge the sinful nature and the next verse, verse 16, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So Peter's telling us, look, in the midst of a chaotic world, when you are going through incredible suffering, you have got to run from those things. Run to God. Run to holiness. Run from those things. And you would say, well, why? Why should I even want to? If we're going to end up being fed to a lion... Why not indulge? And he says, the reason why is very clear. I think one of the, one of the benefits of going through difficult times, I mean, one of, the, one of the reasons we're not saved, rescued, and immediately taken to heaven is the Lord wants us to be here. The Lord wants us to be here and to live as lights in this cosmos that's filled with both good and evil. 
He wants us to shine. Philippians 2, verses 15 to 16 say, He wants us in the midst of the floods, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of going to school, to shine as a light. That's the purpose there. That's why he's left us here. So let me read Philippians 2, 15 to 16 in the message, okay? It's not a direct translation. It's more of an application paraphrase. But let me read it because it really catches the, the import of it. Go out into the world, but go out. Here's that underscoring the holiness part. Go out into the world uncorrupted. Go out into the world, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. And I think of all the floodwaters in Louisiana. That's it. He needs Christians going out as a breath of fresh air, providing people with a glimpse of good living, a glimpse of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so that I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You have to understand that background if you'll ever get through the rest of 1 Peter. So there's a challenge to us to be very different. To be different, you have to be made new. So let me go back to verses 13 to 14. 1 Peter 1, I read that in the ESV. Now I want to read verses 13 to 14 in the message. Okay, let me read it to you. It's so applicable. So roll up your sleeves. Get your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Christ arrives, when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you know better now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic, and blazing with holiness. Just think if God would unleash believers who are energetic, blazing with holiness, with sleeves rolled up into a culture that desperately needs light. That's what he's pleading for. That's what they needed back then as they were being crucified and killed and murdered. That's what we need right now. That's what being set apart means. You know, and I thought, this is, this is Jesus himself. I thought, you know, this hit me this, this last week. If Jesus were to come and visit Parkview, you know, he would come in and sit down. He, nobody would probably even know who he was. He would probably, you know, be shuffled off to the back because he's got long hair, beard, blue jeans, and sandals. But we, we probably, we'd probably be a little, maybe a little incensed, but he surely wouldn't barge his way up front to speak, you know, unless we invited him. He'd look too different for us to invite him up here. Um, but you know where Jesus would stand out? He wouldn't stand out here in church. You know where he would stand out? He would stand out at the dorms at the University of Iowa. He'd stand out there. He would stand out at a leprosarium. He would stand out at a brothel. He would stand out at a bar. He would stand out with prostitutes. He would stand out where there are critical needs and deep hurts. So the point is, 
this is awesome that we're together, shining together, worshiping God together. It's needed. It's necessary. It's important. Don't, please don't read, read me saying that it's not important. But if this is it, if, if we don't roll up our sleeves and get out to where the world desperately needs us to shine, we're not fulfilling the ministry God has called us to do. We have two options. We can either be, as believers who are designed to shine in the world, we can either be indifferent, we can just loaf it as a believer. We can coast it as a believer. We, we can have just enough faith to get us to church on Sunday, maybe to an extra Bible study. We can either loaf it and coast it and be indifferent, or we can be an impactor. We can be an impactor and we can be an influ influencer for the gospel. That's why Peter says, so roll up your sleeves. Get your mind in gear. Be ready. That's the thrust. So we're different. We've been made different. We've got to prepare ourselves for a very different life. Verses 15 to 17. I'm going to just summarize it real quick. It says that we are to be holy in all of our conduct. Verse 15. Verse 17, uh, we are um, to conduct ourselves with fear. So, if I can summarize it, I'm just saying, Peter is referring to the opposite side of the same coin. On, on the one hand, I know the one part. I, I need to be holy. And, you know, we all talk about repentance a lot. And that's wonderful. But I want us to get both sides of it. We understand be holy as Christ is holy. We understand that because we're called to be that. And so normally when we think repentance, it's because, okay, by my action, by my attitude, you know, I, I did this instead of that. <laughs> you know, I'm distorting the image of God. I'm distorting the glory of God because of, because of my sin. And therefore, I need to repent of my sin because I've done something wrong. That's awesome, but that's just part of this. The other part says, I need to repent of my sin because I've done something wrong, but I also need to repent of what I'm not doing. As, a, as an evangelical American church, we tend to focus more on repent of what you've done wrong, and we don't focus on repent of what I'm not doing for the glory of God. That's what Peter is pounding here. Get doing what I'm calling you to do. If you're not, it demands just as much repentance as if you're doing something that detracts. Why? Why would I even want to do this? And the answer is real clear. Because God paid the price knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. The cross is the motivation. The gospel is the motivation that you are different. So, be different. Well, what does that mean? What are the changes to be different? What's it going to look like? It means you're going to be disciplined with your love. 
Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I mean, bottom line, he says, look, that's the litmus. Love is the litmus test. That's how it's going to express itself. And as a church, we have tons of songs about loving one another. But do we really do it? I mean, really, do we do it? Or do we just talk about it? I know, I know all the Greek words about it, but do I do it? Or am I more like the sixth grade class whose teacher got super sick, she had to go to the hospital, she had to go through surgery. So the sixth grade class decided they would send her a get well card and said, this, uh, your sixth grade class wishes you a speedy recovery by a vote of 15 to 14. <laughs> do, do we tend to be like the sixth grade class? You know, maybe... And yet Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love the same way I love. I'm going to give you a quick acrostic. It might, it's just a good handle. It's not the, the full breadth of what love is, but it's just a good handle. If you look at the, word, the letters love, L-O-V-E, think of L being listen. You know, listen to people sincerely. Really try and listen to what they say. You'll never love them if you don't listen to them. The O would stand for overlook. Overlook what isn't necessarily pleasant about the other individual. Um, I, I know when we go to Baton Rouge, there are some folks down there that we're asking Jesus to help us love them because they're, it's, they're not the easiest people to get along with. Okay, So we, love means that we have to overlook what might not be pleasant in another individual. And you think, oh, that makes sense because love isn't on a merit system, right? If love was on a merit system, none of us would ever get to heaven, right? We would all be in hell. So I need to overlook the faults of others. V stands to value. Look, we're all created in the image of God. At least I can value, even if they're very, very different from me, even if I disagree with them, I can value them and give them dignity as a human being. And then E is express. It's not just saying I love you. It's how do I express love? Like Peter, how can I actually roll up my sleeves and get involved in their life? Not just preach about it, not just teach about it, not just memorize verses on it, but how can I actually do it? Roll up sleeves and do it. If not, I need to repent from what I'm not doing. Secondly, discipline with your mouth. Everybody has at least a minimum of 30 conversations a day. If you're a guy, about 20,000 words. If you're a gal, about 30,000 words a day. But with your mouth... You can either encourage or discourage. You can either hurt somebody or heal somebody. You can either lead or mislead. You can build them up, you can tear them down. You can make them laugh, you can bring tears to their eyes. You can praise them or you can defame them. You can bless them or you can curse them. You can give life or give death. Give direction or cause confusion. I think one of the key verses that shows maturity, we all stumble in all of our ways, in many ways, but if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a talios. Perfect. He's a, that's maturity. 
He's saying that's what maturity is, is when, when the mouth reflects the heart, and when the heart is changed, the mouth expresses it, and, and love does as well. Thirdly, it's going to mean being disciplined with your desires for God's Word. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Um, he's, he's not saying these people are spiritual babies. He's just saying, you should so, and I love the word uh, here, epipatheo is the word. He says, you should so crave. And again, he's talking to people going through extremely difficult times. And if you're going to make it through extremely hard times, you need to epipatheo. You need to intently crave, long for, with a strong persistence, the very words of God that can radically change your life and direct you by His Spirit. Let me just say this as a challenge. Not, not as a condemning statement, but just as a challenge. I know uh, many of you have been believers for a long, long time. And I know you, you would argue for the Bible at a drop of a hat. Drop of a hat. You, uh, you believe the Bible. There's not a shred of, of cell in your body that doesn't believe the Bible. You believe the Bible. You would argue for the Bible. But have you stopped your craving for the Bible? Do, do you want... Is there a strong persistence to crave the Bible. You know, I thought, if as believers, or, or just as a human being, if the only time you ate was Sunday morning, okay, Sunday morning, you get to eat. Then you got to go a week. Oh, can't eat until Sunday morning. You eat again. You know, you might make it through a couple weeks. Do you think you'd have a healthy life? Do you think you exist very long? If that's all you ever ate was Sunday morning, then wait a week, Sunday morning, wait a week, Sunday morning, your health would go downhill. Same thing spiritually. How in the world are you going to get through tough times if the only time you eat is Sunday morning? Or maybe stick in another meeting during the week? Thirdly, remember the truth about yourself about who you are. There have been so many studies that say that your view of yourself to a large degree will determine the way you act or react in life. Proverbs says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jesus said in John 8, You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And in these last verses, I, I want to challenge you. Go ahead and read these truths, verses 4 to 10. Look at these truths about who you are. Read them carefully as you come to know a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen, precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. You know, and he talks about Jesus being this cornerstone, and, and then later says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It's an awesome passage. I mean, that, there's a week right there, those few verses. But can I just summarize it real quick as we sort of wrap it up? This passage says four things about who you are. As a member of the bride of Christ, as a member of the body of Christ, listen to these things. He says, number one, 
you have, you've got to understand that you are acceptable. You are accepted. Most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn approval by, by somebody. I, as, as a child, I wanted approval from my dad, from my mom, so bad. I would do anything to get it. And, and some of you are still on that, on that treadmill. You're trying to get acceptance. You're trying to get approval from people, even people you don't like. You'll buy things to get their approval. You'll do things to get their approval. You'll say things to get their approval. You'll, you'll vote for this or vote for that or stand up here or stand up there to get people's approval. You need to know as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are accepted. You are accepted. A chosen race, a chosen people. You have been chosen by God. And notice in this passage, you're chosen by God, you're accepted in God, and there are no conditions. No conditions. It's not at all, not one iota, says that you're, it's based upon performance, and it's not earned. You are accepted as a gift. God says this, I chose you. You're accepted. Have you made that relieving discovery yet? That God chose you. That's going to make a difference as you go through and face trials and tribulations in life. Secondly, not only did he accept you, you're valuable. You are, you're valuable to him. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, what determines value? Well, right now, you go to Louisiana and try and sell your flooded home. You know, somebody asks you, well, what's your home worth? What do you say? Well, whatever anybody wants to pay for it. Okay, so that determines worth. What's a person going to pay for it? I'll tell you, there's one other thing that determines worth. It's who's owned it? Who has owned it? I mean, I saw on eBay a pair of tennis shoes that went for $7,000 because they happened to be owned by Michael Jordan. Value is determined by who owns it. You know, I could pull a guitar out of our closet and maybe sell it for 50 bucks, but if John Lennon pulled an old guitar out of his closet and wanted to sell it. So what about us? Well, how valuable are we? Well, What's a person willing to pay for it? The blood of Jesus Christ? The Son of God paid His life for you? That's how valuable you are. Well, who owns it? Peter says, you belong to God. So you tell me how valuable you are. You belong to God and Jesus paid His life for you. That's how valuable you are. The cross proves your value. Look, we've got two options. Every person has one of two options from this passage. You can either come to the Lord, the living stone, the cornerstone, or you can reject it and get crushed by the stone. Those are the... I mean, it sounds pretty tough, but that's the truth. You can either come to the stone or be crushed by the stone. You can either come to Jesus in belief, in faith, 
And, and Jesus and his shed blood alone, or you can reject that offer and get crushed by the consequences. That is the hard reality of the truth. So what are you building your life on? My prayer for all of us, for our community, for the folks down in Baton Rouge, is that people will build their lives on the cornerstone of all life. Fourthly, we're useful. We've been given a direction. We've been given a purpose. We've been, we are useful for ministering, not only to share the word, but also to serve other people, to share and to serve. You know, I thought, I, I really did enjoy watching the Olympics. My favorite was watching Michael Phelps, the transformation of Michael Phelps from what he went through the last Olympics. And of course, then he fell off. You know, he did all kinds of crazy things. And he was, oh, it was just, just a nightmare. And did you know that he became a Christian? Somebody brought this little simple book called The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren, to Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps read The Purpose Driven Life and gave his life to Jesus. His life is transformed. And God wants to get, we are useful. He's given us a purpose. That purpose clause, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you know every single believer is a minister? Now, you might not be a pastor or have the gift of pastor or be, you know, more of a, a cultural, occupational pastor, but every believer is a minister. Anytime you use your gifts, anytime you use your abilities, anytime you use your talents, anytime you roll up your sleeves and get into action, you are a minister. Second Timothy tells us, and, and God saved us for this. God saved us for his holy calling, for his holy work. Chapter 1, verse 9 of Second Timothy. So what the Bible is saying is that a non-serving, non-loving, non-sharing Christian is a contradiction in terms. He saved us for his holy work. Fourthly, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. You know, as we go through difficult times in life, I'll guarantee you there are even believers in Louisiana right now who are thinking, oh, what did I do wrong to deserve this. I must have done something wrong to get our house flooded. Or I'm sure these people, well, what did I do wrong? And certainly I offended God. Certainly I did something. Certainly I'm the one, you know, the focus, me, me, me. Certainly it was me that caused this to happen. That's exactly where the disciples were. Who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. There's such a huge danger in that. Assuming, if I'm going through a... T not, not seeing the beauty of tough times allows me to shine as light with blazing holiness for His glory. Instead, I want the focus to be on me. Oh, I must have done something wrong, therefore this happened. Look, Peter said, look, once you are not a people, now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, look, now you have received mercy. God's not trying to get back at you. I mean, I've, 
I've thought of it so many times. When, when the kids get sick, I thought, oh God, you know, what did Cheryl do that he would pour this wrath upon my children? <laughs> you know. I've thought of it so many times. What have, what have I done? It's like the guy, he had put in so much work, he couldn't wait to go to his cabin up in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, he was going to just take some time off, get away. He's so exhausted. He gets in his car. He, he drives through a snowstorm. The snowstorm gets worse. He careens up the side of the mountain, goes down the hill. His car is totally wrecked. He survives the crash. He was able to get out of his car. And he begins. Now the blizzard is stronger and stronger. He almost dies as he gets to the top of the mountain where his cabin is. And he looks and he sees some smoke coming up and he's saying, oh good, somebody lit the fireplace. And he gets to the top and he realizes his cabin has burnt totally to the ground. It's just the smoldering embers sending. And so he, he's next to this tree and he starts pounding his head in the tree. God, why me? God, why me? And the heavens open and he hears this voice. Because some people just ticked me off. <laughs> Folks, that's how we view God. We, we view God like we ticked him off. And, and he's out to get us. Does God treat us that way? Weren't you here for Isaiah? I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, I do this. And I will not remember your sins. Please listen. God doesn't hold a grudge. If you're in Christ and you receive him as your Savior, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't rub it in. God rubs it out. God doesn't rehearse sin. God releases it. He remembers it no more. And the good news is when our sins are wiped out, we're set free now. We are set free to love, to share, and to serve God for His glory and for the good of others. Let's all stand up close with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, th this is a challenge to be very different. Uh, this is a challenge to put our minds in gear, to roll up our sleeves, to live a life that's energetic, that's blazing with holiness. So God, help us to repent from those things that we're doing that detract from your glory. But Lord, help us also to repent from those things that we're not doing, that you want to do through us for your kingdom, for your glory, for the sake of people that you died for and that you love. Help us to love well. Help us to use our words in a way that would heal and bring life and build up and praise and lead. Help us to crave, restore that craving, that strong, persistent craving for your word. We thank you that we're accepted and valued. 
that we're useful, that we're not called to be a spectator but a minister, and that we're forgiven. Thank you for rubbing it out. Thank you for giving us a new life. Thank you that we can do this together as the body of Christ, building up one another for your glory and to make a difference not only in our lives, but in a life, a squalid world that so desperately needs light around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.